The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi Warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. I remember some men started praying and others started crying. Um, Part way through it, one guy got to his feet and started to run. I was scared and let that be no secret. Next thing they set the spando up there and they opened up. And there's bloody trees, bits of trees flying. New Zealand tanks were over the other river and one of our men said to them, he said, don't start your tanks up. For five minutes, we'll be out of it. Well, some silly bugger started his tank and the Germans put over a shell and right in the middle of the bridge. It was a bitterly cold morning and I scratched down in this damn hole and it took me two days before I could stand up straight again. Here are the stories of New Zealanders in the Italian campaign in World War II, the Courage and Valor podcast. www.newzealandersatwar.com the Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this week's episode, my guest is Ron Hildreth of Hamilton. He and I sat down about uh, five years ago, back in the summer of 2011, and uh, had a bit of a chat about his Air Force career and his post-war aviation career. Here's Ron. You just sort of tell me the story of... uh, when you joined up and, and your training and just sort of going through? With... Yeah. Well, I'd been interested in aircraft there since I was a small boy. The SE-5 was my favourite aeroplane. And uh, we had a, the church in one and we had a model aircraft club. And uh, we had a um, quiz night where I threw photos up on the screen and. I named the most of them, and I got a free ride and a wacko from the Wallinera Club aircraft. And then, uh, before I went to the Air Force, I spent about three years in the Home Guard, and we used to do night patrols periodically between all the uh, army bases around the coast of Wellington. 
with a single-shot Martini rifle with five bullets in their pockets. And, and also at the same time I was uh, joined the Air Training Corps and I was in the Air Training Corps. Yeah. Okay, so did the service in the Home Guard ever clash with the Air Training Corps? Did you? No, we, um, most of it was uh, night, night things with the, air, with the Air Training Corps and uh, it was weekends and night and daytimes with the, the Home Guard. And, uh, we got called out one night, uh, about 11, 11 o'clock at night, they thought there'd been submarines in the, in the harbour, in the Cook Strait, and uh, we went down to our uh, trench we had above the beach, and I slept for the night in a, in a foul yard under a hedge, then got up and went to work the next day. The, the guards thing was the same. We used to report to the guard house and we'd do a four hours on and two hours off, two hours on and four off, one or two. And then head up, go back and go to work in the morning. And we were doing a lot of um, uh, Air Force work, I mean, uh, Army work for the. We made uh, nearly all the beds and the chests and drawers and things for Woodburn Air, Airfield. And after we made them, we had to go and load them onto the old Echo because the warfies wouldn't touch it because it was um, uh, war work. Sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, so you guys really were in a, a vital area, really. You yeah. defended a vital area. Mm -hmm. and well, I got uh, I got appealed for uh, by the, my boss uh, because he um, didn't want me to go into the air force. And uh, I went to the appeal board and they wanted to know why, why I wanted to go. And I said, well, my father had done the First World War and he was in camp in the second. And I thought it was my turn, so they got me off for three months. So I went in on the uh, September of 42. And I went to my rigorous course and came off that in April 1943 when I was posted to... 16th Fighter Squadron at uh, Fairhill and Blenheim. Well, where, where did you do the rigors course? And where, where yeah, did you... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. We did that at Rongatai. Yeah. Did you go straight into Rongatai? Or... Uh, when you joined up, did you go straight Yeah, I went straight to Rongatai, yes. Okay. Uh, went to Rongatai, joined up. For, well, for the first two weeks, we got shot down to Harewood because they, uh, they were, had more people than they could handle. And so we did our ground training at Harewood, uh, then back to uh, Wellington, went to, through the um, TDS, Technical Training School, yeah. and then their postings came out in, uh, in, uh, in April. And I, I went down to that into Fairhall, and then the, at, um, in the September, or well, late August, I think it was. They just posted a whole a lot of them overseas, and they'd all gone on leave to, for the weekend. And then on the Monday, I got told I was going too, so I had to have the medical, and we left on the Tuesday for Auckland. Okay. Well, can you tell me a bit about life at Fairhall um, before before you go? Well, it was all all outside. All the maintenance was done outside. Uh, in the winter it was really cold. We used to go to work with all our clothes on and then by the time 10 o'clock in the morning came you'd be stripped off to the waist because it was nice and sunny. But, uh, we lived in uh, four-man huts under the trees and uh, just general maintenance work. And did you get to mix much with the pilots at that stage? Not really. Um, I used to get a few rides in harbours. We used to go up doing um, um, drogue towing for the kitty hawks. And it was quite thrilling to sit in with their seat turned around the rear and see the, them coming in at, a, at an angle and uh, hear the old traces, hear them going sizzling over the winter. Uh, young and silly. I was only 19 at the time. 
That must have looked really cool. Oh, it was great fun. Okay. You were there, what, what was it, April to September yeah. at, at Fiegel. And, and did you mix much with the people at Woodburn? And, um, no, we, di we didn't. We were, we were a sort of a completely separate unit. In fact, we had some quite thrilling times there. We used to go across to, to the uh, pictures at night and we used to go in our little truck and, and we'd wear it, it, especially if it was rainy, we'd be waterproof gear and everything on. And uh, we were not very popular because the uh, Jimmy Jim McPate was the the um, station wand officer, and he uh, was giving the guys a great speech one night about how to dress. And we went in the door, and he ordered us out. And he said, "That's what I mean. I don't want anybody looking like that lot." <laughs> yeah. So you know, then we used to walk back uh, across the aerodrome. And then sort of, sort of wait at the flare path because they used to fly every night, and and then wait till it was clear, and then we would dash across and back to back to field, diagonally across the field. Mm. Lovely. You wouldn't get get away with that these days. <laughs> no. Um, and what about the uh, in town? Did the Sixteen Squadron have a local pub or? I don't know. I, I didn't go because I, I'm a non-drinker, and I used to spend a bit, of, quite a bit of time in town with, with the, the Salvation Army that I belonged to. So that kept me out of mischief. So how how did you feel when you were told that you were going with the squadron up to the islands? Pretty oh, punch. Thought it was great fun, but, um, and we. Uh, we went to uh, went through to Auckland, and we went to a place called Lukeville, which was down on the in the swamp at the end of the runway, where and the remains of the uh, Liberator were visible down in there where we were. And then uh, we were walked up to the Fenua each day, and we were doing the acceptance checks on all our kitty hawks that were going up to the islands, and. Uh, then we got three days leave, and there was, they said, well, we got a ticket to get onto the station, but there were no seats. But uh, we found a carriage with all the book seats, and they, they all went out the window, and we had a cat, and we had a, and the, uh, the railway had to put on an extra, extra carriage for the people who were displaced. And uh, by that time, we had the initiative of all our khaki here. And uh, then we got, we went by train to Wellington and uh, we weren't allowed to mix with anybody because the people would know where we were going and here we were complete with rifles and <laughs> everything, every, all our gear as we went down to the, uh, and uh, we stayed at, uh, I stayed out at the lower hut at Waterloo. They had transit houses out there, the Air Force were using. And one night I decided I was going to get, oh, we went, had a lot of rain, freezing cold and southerly, and just in our uh, khaki gear. But we, they left us with our greatcoats, and I decided uh, we'd, uh, they'd take us for a route march on the Monday. And they went to the, marched us up to the Taita pub, which was right through the countryside, no houses meant much. And, uh, I got on the phone and I said to them, I'll be home tonight. So um, I, um, at night I nipped across to the, uh, by walking and bus over to the railway station and got a trip to, into Wellington. Climbed off the train and there were um, military police on there waiting to pick up anybody. So I went back on the train over through the other side and out onto a street called a tram to Island Bay. And I got in touch with my dad and I said, he's coming, he was coming in from camp. So I said, pick me up a ticket for Waterloo. And that, uh, I got the last train back. And uh, we, um, he went in and checked that the station was clear. And I got back and we left, we packed up the following morning and went down to the the wharf onto a, onto a Liberty ship. Our bunks were 
welded to the side of the ship and down in the hold. And we spent uh, a week traveling from there to, uh, New, to New Caledonia. We sat in the, in the harbor of New Caledonia for a week, waiting for the moon to go down because they didn't want to move the convoy in the bright moon. And then we took another another week up to Guadalcanal. And uh, they decided after that trip that they wouldn't uh, move everybody like that because on board there was um, a New Zealand Army Medical Corps, complete with all their gear, an engineer, um, and a tank squadron with their tanks and all their recovery vehicles. And they decided they did a silly thing and they had our full Air Force squadron and all our gear. Yeah. And they moved us, then we moved up from the beach, landed on the beach, they had to go down the landing nets to, to get into the barges. And then we, we only spent a, a short time there uh, before we uh, moved, moved off. Yeah, so we were at um, Guadalcanal from the, the 20th of, uh, of the 9th, that's 43, until um, the 18th of the 10th, we were only there about a month. And we shifted up to a place called Ondonga, which is in, uh, in New Georgia group. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, and then we were there, we were there for uh, until uh, 18th of January in 44. I had my, I had my 20th birthday there. Yeah. So you were with the servicing unit and yeah. the squadron went, but then they went home again. And yeah, and, and they, yeah. In fact, we were on Ondonga with, believe it or not, the, uh, the, the crack American Marine Squadron, the um, Skull and Crossbone. So they were, and when they when they moved out, they left all their gear behind, and we inherited all their spears for the. <laughs> they used to leave everything behind, and we had boxes and boxes of uh, uh, discs for brakes for for courses, and so we did pretty well out of it. And from, um, from there, we, we ca our planes covered the landing at uh, Bougainville, and uh, we moved we moved up to Bougainville on the eighteenth of the as I say January forty four. We've said that before, and um, and I went to Green Island for a period after we'd, we were getting uh, sh shelled by the Japs in that, in that period. So uh, the first morning it happened, I went to the medical for, uh, early because I didn't want to have to walk down the, in the heat of the day, and then watched standing there and then all of a sudden there was a big flash up in the trees opposite and I thought, well that's funny, I've never seen that before. And then suddenly realised it was shells and it was right over the pilot's camp. Because the Japs had the all the hills, and they could virtually see everywhere, and uh, so we had that dusk and dawn for for quite a few days. They used to clear the, they used to take the aircraft off the island at night, and then uh, at one stage they thought there was going to be a breakthrough by the Japanese, and they um, put us all in the line for the night. Well, luckily we didn't have to do anything. They stopped them coming through, and then back we were there out in the in the jungle all night, and then back to work in the morning. Was that quite terrifying? Yeah, we reckon we'd have shot more of each other than we were the chap. Because, and after that episode, all Air Force uh, personnel going overseas had to go through a course at um, oh, 
Henderson Way. Uh, I forget the name of the place. <laughs> What's it called? Anyway. Oh, uh, Swanson. Swanson, yeah, at Swanson, yeah. They had to go through Swanson. So, but uh, we'd done it the hard way. <laughs> Luckily. Our rifles were shocking. We had American rifles. And the idea of loading at the shoulder was just about impossible because the, the bolts were that stiff you could hardly move them. The Americans just used to make thousands of rifles and thousands of bolts and throw a bolt in each, whereas the Lee Enfields had had them fitted. But, uh, then during the period of the, the um, bombing, I got uh, sent on a, a uh, trip to uh, Green Island. We were there about a, a fortnight, three weeks after the landing there, and we was we serviced the aircraft as they they came through. They'd uh, they'd come up, and we'd either bomb them up or change whatever had they had on them. And if they couldn't get back to Bougainville, they'd stop the night, and we'd have to get them away in the morning. And uh, so that, that I was there for about a month. And then came back to, and went back to back to um, Bougainville. Okay. Then, uh, and later on, then we went over from the Kitty Hawks to the Corsairs. They flew our Kitty Hawks away in the morning, and we got out of Corsairs in the afternoon, and we were on operations at three. And none of us had ever worked on a Corsair in our lives before, but. Um, they, everything went well. So at that point when they were phasing them in, did you have one of the OTUs converted to Corsairs and the other no. one kept with the Kitty Hawks? Or? No, all the Kitty Hawks had gone. Uh, 2SU got the first squadron and uh, then um, 4 got, got the next squadron they came up from uh, Santos, I think. So, so you had actually been continuing with the Kitty Hawks while two SU. Yeah, we we uh, we still had the we had Kitty Hawks when they had got the first courses. And just before we we leave the Kitty Hawks, I know that a lot of the four SU ones had names on them, nicknames and. Uh, the only the only one Gloria, that was the only one I, c I can remember having a, um, a name on it. Um, I've actually seen a photograph that almost every one of them's got a, a name. On it, but no, um, yes. but you can't read them all. Our, our 4SU had letters, and uh, 2SU had numbers. Yeah. Um, this this photograph has the the big letter, and then it would have a name. Like for example, L was Leslie, and uh, uh, I think E was Emily. And no, I don't. None of ours had that. One of the things we had we had to do while we were there was uh, put all the um, white stripes on the aircraft. They went on the uh, the wings, and the, then they took the red little red dot out of the middle of the round one and put it in blue because the Yanks used our aircraft often used to do close support for the for the bombers, and even though they'd be flying along with them and they'd have pop shots at them, you know, they were Japanese. But uh, there was another thing that uh, I thought was quite strange. Uh, one of the aircraft, the um, Wairarapa Wildcats one, had brown edgings around their white stripes, which was definitely wrong. What that was, was where the masking tape had been put on. When it came off, it took off the top layer of paint and left an a, a inch wide blend. Yeah, so, uh, so all these decal makers of models, they, they've yeah. been getting it wrong. Yeah. 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 Uh, can you tell me the story of Gloria Lyons? It was, uh, somebody had written to this girl in Christchurch, she was, uh, she was a cripple or something, I can't remember the story now, and they decided that they'd uh, t uh, take her on as a mascot. Well, they went, uh, they went through about three aircraft uh, crashes. Um, one one pilot did both did two and 
One was on the end of the strip, the other had bailed out. Um, the, and we went even onto the corsets, we transferred onto, onto her name. Yeah. But uh, other than that, I don't know what happened in the end. Uh, so, some of the, uh, we found in, in some of our aircraft was uh, names and addresses of people in America who had, had built the aircraft and some of the boys wrote to them and they got letters back, not very complimentary. They had built them for their people, not for foreigners. Mm -hmm. and the New Zealanders were working with the US yeah, we were, yeah. As, as part of their, their structure, yeah. so. That's not very nice. <laughs> no, but uh, they are, um, they used to be quite amazed that uh, they used to say, where's your, where's your crew? Oh, we are. But what do you, I said, I'm the airframe and he's the, the engine man. Well, who does, who does the propellers? The engine man. Who does something? Because they had somebody for every everything. And they were absolutely amazed that we could operate with two men per aircraft uh, and just have uh, the electricians or, or the instrument people looking after us and the radios doing a lot. But uh, yeah, it was quite an interesting time. Yeah, it was the same when I was in the Air Force as well. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's, uh, that's an interesting thing about um, Working with the Americans, did, did you mix with the like you pointed out that you had the P thirty nines down the other end of the strip? Did you get, get to know them very well? No, we didn't. They were the only thing we used to do was uh, all get down low as we went past because it was quite normal for them to let off a. In fact, one of their guys was killed. One of the armourers was cleaning the gun and somebody pulled the trigger. But we, every time we used to go on the back of our truck, everybody ducked down down below the level of the of the, uh, the cannon barrel. Some quite hilarious things happened. Uh, some of the, one of the things that used to happen was uh, on Bougainville was uh, from Torrequina Strip was uh, after the aircraft had gone, we often used to go across the beach for a swim. Because Nobody wore togs, and when, as soon as you saw the aircraft in the uh, in the circuit, you'd be out of the water, boots in one hand, shorts in the other hand, and head back for dry on the way. You'd have to stop it on the side of the road for the traffic to go past, and possibly a truckload of American nurses and everybody said good morning and carried on, carried on. Yes. It, was, uh, it, was, it was quite strange, funny at times. Then the Aussies had uh, compounds there on Bougainville as well, and the natives that came in from the jungle, away from the Japs, used to live there. But they used to go back into the jungle for their um, food, you know, at times. And it was quite comical on the road to see them coming down the road. The father would be leading them away with a with a. Uh, bamboo stick across his shoulder with a bit of fruit hanging on the end of it. But the baby had just learnt to walk, was carrying the machete, and all the kids were smoking pipes. And then he would stop every so often and look back for mum. And she'd be about half a mile up the road, staggering along with a great pack on her back. They, they had a rough time. <laughs> yeah. What about um, the disease and stuff? Was there much of that going? Well, malaria was the only one, but I don't think many of our guys got it because they did what they were supposed to. We used to take a pill called aspirin, and used to, when the perspiration used to come out between your fingers, yellow, and um, and you had to wear long long trousers and shirt, long shirts at night. Uh, but um, we did all right. On on Donga, I got a uh, getting out of the truck. I got a, a cut on the knee, and I went down into the coral mud. It was a terribly muddy place, and uh, 
I used had a long time getting that fixed. They used to measure it every day, and it was, and they tried different things to try and get rid of it. And they got to the point where they said, "Well, we've just got some new stuff from from what New Zealand. If this doesn't cure it, you're going home." And luckily, it did. And I had a purple scar on my knee for a long, long time after the war. Coral poisoning was was very bad. So. You couldn't go into, you had to be careful not to get uh, water in your ears because of uh, fungus to grow or things. Something I always said it was fungus, but I never went in. Yeah. What about um, accidents, uh, including at Fairville? Were there many aircraft accidents? Or? We'd never, I never saw one at, um, I never saw one at um, Fairville. None of our aircraft had trouble. Uh, we didn't. We had one guy with um, had uh, concussion. He was on a one of the kitty hawks on the strip, and then a shell landed on the other side, and it uh, made a lot of holes in the in the aircraft. But uh, yeah, and he ended up with concussion. One of our instrument repairers, he he had he came home with malaria because he used to go and do do watch repairs and he used to work by all hours of the day and night, and uh, he, he 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 got it. But everybody other than that, all we had you know dysentery, we had that badly on on diet, but um, it was not. Uh, it was not a good time. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about um, maintenance of the the P40s? What what were the main sort of things that went wrong with them? You know, were they good aircraft to be working yeah, on? Yeah, they were. We didn't have. We we managed to keep about 100% serviceability all the time. If um, they need an engine change, they do an engine change overnight, uh, and be back online in the morning. We had 100% serviceability. The Americans sort of couldn't understand that, uh, how it was. Uh, just, just general, a lot of the time they weren't, along, weren't around long to do anything to them. We used to do um, 40 and 80 hour inspections on them. Then they uh, and we uh, had had turns about um, working for on the maintenance or just on servicing. The, um, um, all the fueling was done by Americans, but if, um, if our aircraft came back late, there'd be no nobody there, to, so we'd have to uh, fuel them ourselves. And we'd quite often find that the uh, tankers, were, were 500 gallon tankers, were empty, and we'd have to find out what the password was and go up to the main main dump, refill and fill the tankers, and then go back and refill our aircraft. But um, I, I learned to I learned to drive up there. In fact, I didn't learn. I just drove. <laughs> so I started on Guadalcanal, and they wanted a, somebody to bring the truck back from, to the, the strip from the camp, which was up a, a hill. And uh, so I said, oh, I'll bring it back. And I'd never driven in any in my life, and I couldn't make it go. And I'd forgotten to take the handbrake off, which uh, went onto the drive shaft. So. Uh, from then on, I was driving and I think and everything. And then, in fact, uh, when I were up on Bougainville, the guys wanted said, "Oh, you got a day off? Go down to the dump and get some sandbags for your foxhole." And they said, "Go into the American truck, or they'll they'll lend you a truck." And they lent me a big six-wheel GMC, and I'd only driven a small truck before that, uh, but. Uh, no, I had no I had no license or anything. In fact, when the um, Air Force band came through, I drove the trucks to the to one of the with half the band on to the concert they did and back again. So things were a bit lax. But, um, so when did you get into the band? 
Was, were you still in the war when you started doing the music? music? I, I was uh, in the station band at, uh, at Woodburn while I was there. They just let me off the field to go and play with the station band. And then I went, then when I did my uh, fittest course, I, I was th three months at Nelson, I was in the airport, the station band there. And then um, I came, where did I go from there? Oh, I didn't play in any other bands after that. Well, what did you play? From, uh, uh, when the war fin the war finished, um, well, I was here in Hamilton. I'd I'd just come up from Wellington to, uh, from leave. And I went into the the patriotic fund. People had a hut in Garden Place, and I went in there and found. When I woke up in the morning, they said, "Oh, the war's finished with Japan," and we were given leave. And I got back on the train that night. Went back to Wellington again. So it was two fifteen-hour trips. We had to, virtually had to stand all the way down to Wellington. Then, when we came back, we started dismantling the place, went uh, into the skin shop, all the uh, stuff they've been working on, repairs, were thrown, thrown onto the back of a truck and dumped down the gully somewhere around about where the uh, terminal building is now. And uh, then they we shifted to Ahakia, number one repair depot moved to Ahakia. And from there I got my dis I was discharged. In fact, my boss that told me originally that I, because I went into the Air Force, that when he had another appeal in for me, my t apprenticeship was terminated, he got me out of the Air Force. <laughs> and I went back and I was there for, um, uh, until the 50s. And, uh, I was going to ask you about the um, the Corsairs. How did you feel that they compared with the P-40s to work on as, as an aircraft? Oh, I loved them. <laughs> they were my favourite aeroplane. We our once had uh, fuel tanks in the in the wings. Uh, I think they were for your ones, uh, and they had a a a, um, a purge bottle, so that after they were had used the fuel, they could purge it with CO2 and uh, for, for safety. And it took us a long time to get it over to the guys that if they weren't going into action, they didn't need to use the bottle. We had to change them <laughs> every time they came back. And of course, all our aircraft had um, Hoffman starters too, cartridge start. And uh, they were, had a little. Uh, the front had a little panel, they um, open up the bolt, stick the old shell in, close it up, and then bang. And then they were, after a while they started to get a bit uh, sluggish, you know, we used to surprise the top off, pour one down the hole, put another one behind it, and boom, it, it went. <laughs> but, but, what, what about with the kitty hooks, how were they started? Winded. We uh, they we, uh, it was a winder was at it just far of the leading edge on the starboard side, and uh, we used to have trouble with the pilots. You know we'd we wind and they'd not start, so we made it in the end. We, we two two trip two times, and then uh, they had to do it. They soon left because. David, we found that the, the best way to do it was virtually open the throttle waters pretty well wide, and then as soon as it's fired, whip it back. Because we used to, all of the riggers and everybody used to run the aircraft. We used to start at say four o'clock in the morning, and uh, it start the aircraft and uh, run them up ready for the, for the day. It used to be quite interesting on Tarakina, see, stand up in the cockpit and look down the line, see 12 aircraft, all their cockpit lights on, 
and the nav lights on, uh, and just in the, in the dark. We used to start, it was dark when we started, and we used to go have breakfast and come back. And, uh, I'll do it again. <laughs> I'll do it again. What did you have for breakfast? Oh, can't remember. It was little sausage weenies, I used to call them. And, and uh, I don't know what we used to have, actually. It wasn't nothing, it was all tin stuff. Well, I know we used to have spam at lunchtime. And going back back to New Hondonga, we used to, they used to bring us lunch. We used to have slice of bread, and some stuff they called apple butter, and a, and a mug of um, battery acid. We used to call it, it was a sort of powdered lemon drink. And uh, our wing commander Freeman sort of came through one time, and he said. What do you guys have for lunch? We told him, and he said, it's no good. Because all the guys up in camp were having proper meals, and us working on the strip. And, and uh, things improved. But the, the American squadron, after they'd fed, they had a, a jeep set up with hot boxes and everything on it. And after they'd finished their, um, their guys, they used to come around and feed us donuts and gherkins and all sorts of things. We got on pretty well then. We got on very well with the the African um, uh, the Negro. If I use that word incorrectly, uh, but that's what they were. And that, that we used to get on well with them. And they couldn't understand how we'd, when they we would talk to them as though they were just any. But their guys were just more. Did you have any married guys on your unit? Uh, no, we didn't. We had a married pilot who um, crashed at the end of the strip, he they came across in formation and he dived out of the formation and by the time he got down he was halfway up the strip and he never made it and he ended up upside down and when they uh, got him out they, um, they the Yanks were going to take him off to a Negro hospital and I said whoa he goes to the where uh, anybody else would go. So they had a bit of a struggle with them, but they they won out. But, uh, so that's the reason I asked. I wondered if um, Maori guys in our units up there ever had trouble with the American uh, system of black and white. You know, the white are they? I, I'm not sure. Um, we never had much to do, do with them. I've, I've lost track. Uh, Lost of one that I used to uh, spend uh, find out a lot about there was um, he uh, he just died just uh, lately and uh, was a guy that rode coconuts and bombers. Uh, oh, you, uh, Keith Mulligan. Yeah, yeah, Keith. I I I got to know Keith pretty pretty well uh, since the war, and uh, he uh, he's quite a character, not Keith, but uh, he died of emphysema in the end. And he said he curses the day the Air Force could let him have cigarettes for cheap. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I heard it. Was, um, we lost about a st stone and weight for the year up there, was plenty. Eh? A year was quite enough. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. In fact, for to pass a, a, a day off, I've sat on my bed and played patience for eight hours. <laughs> Nothing else to do, or sleep. Mm. They used to call it Sackville, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> sack, sack time. Yes. Yeah. But, um, Was there ever um, any sort of um, jealousy between how the pilots got to go home after only a couple of months? No, that didn't work. They they needed to. Man, we had out of a squad. How many did they have? They had twenty, I think they had in a squadron. At one stage on on Donga, there we had four issue. We had four pilots who were able to fly. They were just well. They used to. I don't know. If they, we lost a stone. I don't know how much they they used to come home absolutely wet through. 
absolutely wintry. In fact, after we got the smell, we used to hose the, hose the cockpit out with a hundred octane to freshen it up. It's, uh, like one of the jobs I used to, didn't used to like was uh, if we'd had the canopies off, we used to have to uh, put them back on, close them, and you had to turn them out and lock wire the release up here. And you'd just about get it done and you'd say, can't do it, and you'd open, open the cup and stand up, stand up and all the sweat just dropped down like a sheet off you, all the, all the folds. But uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty hard. Then we used to get rain every afternoon. It was, you either rained at three o'clock or six o'clock. And uh, then we used to, that was on, on Bergenville. They used to have big squalls came through. Yeah. And then after the war you um, went to Teal, wasn't it? Yeah, after the war I went back to my cabin making job and I saw an application, it was uh, wanting an airframe fitter for the, for the flying boots. So I applied and they said oh, I had been filled. And then uh, I was out one night and the, the uh, station engineer came home and wanted to know whether I still wanted the job. So uh, I left there and, and went to, to Teal and I uh, was there for th th three years on until the base closed. So that was a very, that was a real thrilling sort of time. Horrible weather and like changing the uh, nav lights on the end of the winter when they were howling southerly gale and typical ponds, everything had a screw, they didn't have had to unscrew all the covers and change the globe and then screw it up again and try not fall off while you're doing it. it uh, but it was real thrilling sort of game. I did two trips to uh, the Chatham Islands while I was there with them. We used to go down in case of any problems with help the flight engineer. Yeah. It must have been quite interesting. Hmm? Right. It was. We used to land in the lagoon. Yeah. And, uh, and was it at the same time that you joined the Territorial Air Force? Uh, I was in the Territorial Air Force while I was at Teal. Might have been before that. Uh, yeah, 1950. Yeah. Okay. And how did the Mustangs compare to the... Uh... Oh, they were, they were good. Enjoyed those. But um, they, um, before that, of course, we just had the Tiger Moss and, the, and Harvards. We were supposed to have had um, Oxfords as well, but they cut out the, the bomber uh, unit and just went under the fight. Yeah. Where was that? Was that at Rongatai? Rongatai, yeah. Oh, we used to do... Uh, we used to do uh, quite a bit of flying up at um, Paparam and uh, then uh, of course when the Mustangs we used to do once a month at Ahakia. Yeah. And while I was at Ahakia, one of the, we used to do annual camp there, so I did five annual camps. Yeah, and we, uh, the, I knew the bandmaster there and he caught me and he asked the boss if I could uh, had some time off to, and they went down for they were short of players for the, I think it was the coronation of the Queen, I think it was announced when I was in Wellington that Hillary had climbed the Everest. You know. But uh, it was, I played for the station band then. Then I was um, in the, then after I got put out of the Territorial Squadron, I was out for about six months and then the the bandmaster of the band who had been at a hacker asked me to go into the, the, um, the um, central band. So I did 11 years with them. Yeah. That must have been quite a privilege, I guess. It's yeah. the top band, isn't it? Well, 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 we were we were not the. It's not the band it is today. We we were 
quite amateur compared because a lot of those guys there now are all uh, trainees at uh, the university and all the rest of it. I think half of them are symphony, symphony orchestra. Oh, a lot of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they were good, they're a good band. Yeah. And, um, the, um, I've been to a few, I went to the, uh, I was in a fanfare party too, we did the Queen's departure from Christchurch and quite a few other things we end up at the, uh, um, what was it at uh, Bolly? We did uh, an investiture of medals and we did one for them. So it was a very, very interesting time. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was then down to like it shifted to, uh, to Hamilton in 1966. I was also Dehavs at the same time. After I left Teal, I went to Dehavs and I was there until I came to Hamilton. Okay, well, can you tell me a little bit about what you were doing at De Havilland's? Well, I first went to De Havilland's. I was working on the Domini aircraft, um, AYK, that's still around today. That was the first. When I got onto that, I just thought, what heaven do I know about aeroplanes? That was the first wooden one I'd ever <laughs> worked on compared to that thing of metal aircraft. Um, and uh, did a lot of work on beavers. Um, and they sit with the assembly of the uh, last of the uh, Air Force Devons. Now I got a, another job there. We bought a, a, a it was an 1804, came in, she'd been, she'd, um, her nose was there, it had and she'd broken off and it made a proper mess of it. And um, I had to um, put a new, a new complete nose on, I had to get one out from England. Uh, that was that was an interesting job. Are they a metal nose on them? Or? Yeah, they're metal. Yeah, I'll show you a picture of them. But um, then um, we um, oh they when they first built the Wellington Airport, they had big forty foot poles for the lights. Um, and they were made out of spruce and uh, ply. We made made all those, and they were made so if they got hit, they they just held up with number eight fencing wire, so they could knock you know they'd knock down. Uh, then I was looking after the uh, William Air Club's aircraft, doing the servicing on those until. Uh, then I left, there was not much work going on. I left and I went to NAC for for three years. Uh, that started the day after the Wellington Airport opened. And we got the Viscounts, uh, Friendships, and the, oh, I was there when the Friendships started, and the DC-3s. I've only taxied one of the aircraft in my life, and that's uh, three years I was taxiing DC-3s. <laughs> yeah. Driving them around him, around the airport. Then, of course, we, we used to do uh, diversions to for fog. We used to do diversions to Paraparam, and they got up to Paraparam one one day with me and two refuelers, and they, I think there were seven or eight DAX sitting up there waiting, and they just had to taxi them all down out of the out of the way, and then bring each one up as they. Decided where they were going or how they could go. That was interesting work too. But the most interesting though was that putting them away at night, never having been, didn't know much about Paraparam, but luckily one of the guys had been at Paraparam. And I said, Where do you go? And he said, well, Just follow me. <laughs> so all I was doing was following a little tail light, here and across the aerodrome to the other side of the drone to park them for the night. And, uh, didn't break anything, so... That's the good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, when you came up to Hamilton, what was the... Well, after I, be, I went back to... Uh, back to... Um, it wasn't the Haviland, it was Hawking the Haviland by that time. I went back to them after being at the NAC 
and uh, we were making parts for the Fletcher top dresses. And uh, so uh, one time the, the uh, foreman was down there and I said to him, oh, any jobs in Hamilton? He says, come up and we'll give you a job. So for, for an extra six months an hour I came to Hamilton. I was getting ten, ten shillings an hour, a dollar, a dollar an hour. <laughs> For six months I shifted. So dot and dot was a Hamilton girl, so yep. I supported her home. Had you met when, when I met were... her during the war at church here. Yeah. I used to stay with some people, and they said. Uh, we're going to be away for the weekend, but we've made her. I made arrangements for her to go and stay with Mrs. Church. So I went and stayed there for the weekend, and Dot and and, and her sister-in-law to be, and another girl were there. And uh, afterwards, we just got a bit friendly. And, I mean, 60, 65 years tomorrow. Wow! Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um. So the, um, the the work at Hamilton, what was the company called? Uh, Air Parts we started with, uh, they were over by, it's where uh, Air Spread are. No, it's where, um, air, next to the Aero Club, it's the Aero Maintenance and then yeah. you know, we started there. We built the first one of New Zealand made parts. And they got combined with. Then we then we merged with Air Engine Services, and shifted across to uh, the James side, and uh, everything went on from there. And that became New Zealand Aerospace. Yeah, oh, we had all sorts of names. <laughs> Changed quite a lot. So you would have worked with Pat Monk there, I guess. I knew Pat, uh, Murray McGregor. I knew pretty well. Yeah. And uh, Pat was my next door neighbour. I grew up with. Yeah, right. Yeah, really, really good friends. Yeah, yeah he was a bit of a character, old Pat. <laughs> yeah. He used to work for uh, Miles, I think. Yes, he did. He did. Yeah. And he he was. He was. He was sort of taking little ounces off here and there, <laughs> make it lighter. <laughs> I love the, his calculating mind. Anything you asked him, he had a. He had an answer for it, and, yeah. he, and he could he could give you the specifics. Mm. Um, yeah, no, he was uh, certainly an amazing designer. Well, I worked on the f on the the first uh, big door one where the nine fifty. We, we we just cut down the, the took the took the front off a of a three hundred, and then worked it worked from there, and we've we were looking for parts. And uh, the uh, the um, civil aviation guy had a trekker van, and we decided the door handles on those would do, would work. And uh, somebody else had a mini miner, and we said, "Ah, oh, those hinges are going to work." So, and I made the first open the large door, and because uh, the the Aussie uh, one was a big fold up door. Was a lot of, you know, very heavy. And we made a light on. And then I left. So I finished there. I got made redundant in about 1981 with everybody else. But the store's manager wanted me to go in the store as a storeman because so he said, I want somebody that knows the parts. I lasted three days and they said, Well, we have a bit of a problem. We were, we've got a lot of orders for spares and this. Nobody had to make them. Will you go back on the bench? And I was there for another three years. And I was, I was here with the CEO at the time, uh, the, the boss at there at the time was Mel Gunton. That flew there. <laughs> I got an Air Force um, safety thing re recording all the, the uh, of the uh, Sunderland going through. And I said to him, I said, look, I've got a thing on Sunderland. I said, you'd be interested in. So I took it along and he said, yeah, well, that's me. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have a nice on milk. <laughs> I've been told he doesn't like that being brought up. <laughs> <laughs> no. There's a, there's a picture somewhere 
in a in a magazine of of a Corsair he crashed over in Fiji, it's all in bits up a yeah, up a, up a gully. Yeah. 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 Yeah, right. And then see. So then after the, that extra three years, did you retire then? Or? I retired. I retired, and then in ninety, we were going to England, and they were short-staffed out there. So I went out for a couple of for a month or so. I made all the spar caps for uh, about twelve C fours, and then uh, finished. Came back and I got rung up. Would I go back as an inspector? I'd been an inspector before I left um, for, uh, for for a few months, and I was there for fourteen. And I rebuilt six Air Force tailplanes for for the CD fours. They all went damaged. Uh, he was. So I've had quite an interesting time. Absolutely, and um, that's sort of. Finish it up nicely because the tape's about to end as well. <laughs> I, uh, the only other thing was we got inveigled by Aussie James to build the the uh, Maverick at, at the St Paul's school. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, a uh, ultralight micro microlight. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember seeing a bit of publicity about yeah. that at the time. Yeah, that's that's all I've spread all over the countryside. Yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the boys that helped build it, he's he's got it now. He, he wrecked it there. You know, he did a heavy landing. I think he got a downdraft and spread it. But uh, he's trying to repair it, but they can't get the parts until they get an order for for ten bits over in Canada. So they'll make them. Yeah. The strangest thing was, I said, when we started working on, it, I said, "Geez, it looks like a beaver." And they said, "The same guy designed it." <laughs> Yeah, so that was the end of my day. Well, then uh, after we'd, we'd had it, afterwards it been built, we, it, it uh, got tipped over on its back by a gust of wind out of Tikai, and another chap, Jack Godfrey, and I rebuilt that out, out of the airport. Right. But since then, I'm not doing much, getting too old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you don't look very old. Oh, I've just, just hit 88. It's remarkable. Yeah. You really don't look that age. No. I feel it though. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do things when I want to. Yeah.